0: There stories being told by people who are out of their minds. That's what we've always believed.
1: Alright, now let's hear your story.
0: Welcome to Live Patrol entertainment podcast that brings to light ingenious interesting and sometimes unbelievable stories from history and mixes in creative storytelling every episode we hope you learn at least four facts that you can use around the dinner table or at the bank to astound your family friends or to pass the time while the teller is putting the money in the bag the headlines are ear-catching that can't be true factoids while the explanations show you just how real they are every week there'll be two little lies thrown into the mix to keep us on our toes and vigilant for the truth
1: the topic this week is the moon. My one.
0: Moon. <laughs> nice
1: I don't think that went down as well as we thought it was going to.
0: <laughs> do you want to do it again? No.
1: Let's keep going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
0: All uh, right. So what do we have this week?
1: Well, this is going to be like our normal where we have the three stories and there'll be a lie in there. So uh, all right. Here's my first one. NASA has had to make specific trash removal missions to the moon. Number two, for just a few million dollars, you can own a piece of the moon. Okay. Number three, a study of lunar research flights was the United States' first attempt at traveling to the moon. Oh, and I should know right now, uh, we are only talking about Earth's moon. Uh, We had a long discussion about (laughs) if Io counted and...
0: Titan uh, and, you know, all the the other cool
1: moons. And
0: we'll definitely probably cover those eventually. But this one is Luna. This,
1: This one, yeah. Maybe we should... This one should really just be called Luna.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll we'll just call... Well, if you say Luna, we're going to have to cut all this out.
1: (laughs) Nope. We're going with Moon. Moon. All right, then.
0: Earth's Moon it is. Can you read that third one again?
1: A study of lunar research flights was the United States' first attempt at traveling to the Moon. I wonder if they can hear the How crickets. How did you do
0: this? <laughs> I don't understand. Okay, okay. I am very suspicious of the first one because we have not had... Trash is on there. There's hella trash. There's a lot of trash on the moon. Uh, I think that one's the lie, I would say. So I'm going to go with... What's the number two?
1: For just a few million dollars... You can own a piece of the moon.
0: I don't like any of these. (laughs) These are horrible stories. Let's go with number three first. Want me to read number three first?
1: Okay. That one's true. (laughs) Okay, good. So the catch with this one is it wasn't Americans heading to the moon. A study of lunar research flights was a top secret Air Force mission created in 1957. Formerly known as Project A-119, the goal of the mission was to detonate a nuclear bomb on the surface of of the moon. But more than that, it was to show the, the Soviet Union the might, strength, and scientific prowess that the U.S. had. That we could detonate a nuclear bomb on the moon. Wow. It was ultimately scrapped in 1959 out of fear of negative public reaction and negative implications on proposed lunar bases. The Project was supposed to use a W-25 warhead, which had a 1.7 kiloton yield. Which, for reference, the little boy that was dropped on Hiroshima was in the ballpark about 15 kilotons.
0: Yeah, well...
1: This part, you're going to like this part. A 10-member research team was assembled to model the supposed mission. Among the team members was young graduate student Carl Sagan. Oh! Sagan was responsible for modeling the blast and the resulting dust cloud that formed. Interestingly, in the 2010s, a Soviet version of this plan was uncovered called the E Series. Created in 1958, which is a year after the American one, uh, it had four stages. Number one was getting to the moon, two and three was getting a probe to the dark side of the moon, and four was detonating a nuclear device on the moon. As with the United States mission, the Soviet one was also canceled in the planning stages due to safety and launch vehicle reliability. What ultimately determined that no nuclear bomb would be detonated in space was the signing of the Partial Nuclear Test Ban Treaty and the Outer Space Treaty in 1963 and 67. So, Carl Sagan was actually the biggest leak of the United States mission. After the project was canceled, Sagan applied for a scholarship at the University of California, Berkeley in 1959. In his application, he had two scientific papers listed. The 1958 paper, Possible Contribution of Lunar Nuclear Weapons Detonations to the Solution of Some Problems in Planetary Astronomy, and the 1959 paper, Radiological Contamination of the Moon by Nuclear Weapons Detonations. Both papers were destroyed by the U.S. government after the project was canned, among eight others. (laughs) And these papers weren't found until writer K. A. Davidson discovered Sagan's application while writing his autobiography in the mid-90s. After the biography was published, it caused a freedom of information request about the project. It was only then that part one of the report, A Study of Lunar Research Flights, was released.
0: They're like, hey, where did Carl get this idea from? He seems like he knows uh, something here. Apparently
1: it never came up beyond that application.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. Well, When uh, you think about it now, could you imagine? Like, that wouldn't be good for anybody on Earth. <laughs>
1: What's more nuts is no one in the U.S. government told him not to list that stuff on his resume. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> hey, just go ahead and uh, apply with all the that stuff on uh, on your resume. Do you
0: remember when we said we were gonna detonate that nuke? Could you maybe gloss over that a little bit when you're trying to beef up your resume? You know, that was
1: that was a, that was a fun find.
0: That is I that is fun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, NASA has had to make a specific trash removal mission to Mars to the moon, not Mars. For just a few million dollars, you can own a piece of the moon.
0: You see, my problem here is that the way that you word the first one, I don't trust you. The second one, I feel like that's true, but it's like you can own like an inch. Let's go with number
1: two. Damn, you got this week right.
0: Ah, I knew it.
1: Okay, so this one's a very complicated case. You know, a lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. There'll be two main players. I'm going to say their names right here, and then... I'm just going to refer to them by their last names. It's Nancy Lee Carlson and Ryan Ziegler. All right. So Nancy Lee Carlson purchased a lunar sample return bag for $995 in February 2015. The 11 half inch bag was auctioned off by the Texas Marshal Service due to a forfeiture by a museum curator who was found guilty of theft of other space artifacts. The bag was labeled as having flown on an Apollo mission, but at the time not much else was known about it. Carlson started working with Ryan Ziegler, a NASA employee at the Johnson Space Center. Ziegler took ownership of the bag, began running tests, and performing item cataloging work to find the origins of the bag. One of the tests was performed on the stains inside the bag. The stain was actually traced thus from Tranquility Base from Apollo 11, the first moon mission. Further investigating found that the bag had been used in the early minutes of Neil Armstrong's 1969 moonwalk. The bag was used to prevent contamination of moon samples from the rest of the spaceship. Carlson claims that this test caused a tear in the bag. Upon learning about the bag's origins, Ziegler refused to hand it back over to Carlson, citing that the bag was NASA's property and should not have been auctioned off. It was never meant to be owned by a private citizen. The bag had been incorrectly categorized by a Kansas museum, where it was on loan from NASA. The miscategorization is what caused it to be auctioned off. Carlson filed a lawsuit, and a Texas judge declared that she had bought it in good faith, and it was no longer NASA's property. The bag was returned to Carlson in February 2017, but we still haven't got to the headline yet.
0: Is it on auction somewhere?
1: <laughs> so she got it back in February. In June of 2017, Carlson auctioned the bag off oh, that still man. had trace moon particles. It ended up going for about $1.8 million, despite it being appraised at between 2 and $4 million. Carlson claims that the tear in the bag, in addition to NASA's public statements about her and the bag's ill ownership, caused diminished value to it, as well as personal distress. Wow. As of 2018, Carlson has filed another lawsuit to compensate her for the diminished value of the bag and, quote, humiliation, embarrassment, and emotional stress and anxiety that went along with it.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, you're misleading, sir.
1: (laughs) For about $2 million, you can own a piece of the moon.
0: Yeah, no kidding. But it's worth way more.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's worth between, well, if the bag was was whole. Yeah. Now that it's torn, eh, like 1.8.
0: That's crazy, though, That because, you know, reading up on this, that takes a lot to have a bag that can withstand that kind of stuff. So that's kind of, that's a dope bag.
1: <laughs> All right, so you went three for three. This is the lie. NASA's had to make specific trash removal missions to the moon. NASA has never removed trash from the moon. The weight savings of leaving unneeded items on the moon far outweighs the fuel usage that would be needed to bring the stuff back to Earth. And I... Included this because there's only there's a small story, but some of the stuff that's left on the moon is pretty cool. The Eagle Lunar Landing Module is still in the Sea of Tranquility, but now bears a plaque stating Here men from planet Earth first set upon the Moon, july nineteen sixty nine AD. We came in peace for all mankind. An aluminum capsule nearby holds a silicone disc that has messages from four US presidents and seventy three heads of state. There are five American flags, twelve pairs of boots, and two golf balls from the infamous golfing on the moon video there are also 96 bags of feces urine and vomit and over 70 spacecraft which includes rovers modules and orbiters an apollo 1 mission patch was also left on the moon despite never launching aldrin and armstrong left a, m- a memorial in memory of astronauts roger chaff chaffee chaffee i'm <laughs> so sorry about this uh, astronauts roger chaffee gus grissom and edward white who died during a train mission on earth so in order to tell you about the the last thing that the last thing of note they left that was left on the moon, I need to tell you two stories first.
0: Okay, you can if you'd like. You can tell those stories.
1: So are you familiar with the names Yuri Gagarin and Vladimir Komarov?
0: Yes, I am actually. D- but you would like to continue? No, uh, mm-hmm.
1: please uh, explain what you know about either.
0: Weren't they, uh, the two cosmonauts, the first ones to go into space on a manned mission?
1: Uh, more or less. Uh, I honestly, I knew, uh, I knew about, Gag- uh, Gagarin and, uh, what he did. I didn't really know much about Komarov, but here we go. Now you'll learn. Vladimir Komarov had a mission in 1967 that was supposed to be a space personnel transfer. He was supposed to fly into space on Soyuz 1, and then a day later a second capsule would be launched with two occupants. You're giving me this look that you know, you know what's going on now. Yeah, I yeah. remember
0: the story.
1: Yeah. One of the occupants and Komarov would train places in the ships before both returned back to Earth. Yuri Gagarin, who already made his first spaceflight, was conducting a safety check on Soyuz 1 and noted over 200 structural mission halt issues. Gagarin wrote a 10-page memo with all of the issues, but no one wanted to tell the president of the USSR... Leonid Brezhnev, the bad news. In fact, everyone who saw the memo was demoted or sent to Siberia. Oh, wow. Within a, with a month to go for launch, it became clear to Komarov that postponement was not in the cards. While a suicide trip, he knew that if he refused to fly, a backup pilot would be sent in his place. On April 23, 1967, Komarov left Earth aboard the Soyuz. Issues began almost immediately. Antennas did not deploy to correctly, there were power surges and failures, Navigation was next to impossible. The next day's spacecraft launch was halted. Now, the reason we know all this is because of a U.S. airbase that was deployed in Istanbul. It was close enough to receive all the transmissions between Komarov and the USSR. There is a recording of Komarov as he plummets to Earth. And it's a little much, so we're not going to play it, but it does exist if you're into that kind of thing. And I use the word plummet for a reason. As Komarov was set for reentry, he knew he was going to die the parachutes failed to open, which caused Komarov to turn molten as he hit the Earth. There are also pictures of his open casket funeral, but they're also a bit much, so we're not going to include those either. Now, Yuri Gagarin was the first known man in space, but not many know how he died. The story at the time was a training mission in 1968 caused him and his co-pilot to go down in a MiG-15 just outside of Moscow. However, a declassified document released in 2003 showed that an Su-15 supersonic jet at 470 miles an hour passed as close as 30 feet away from Gagarin in the clouds. The jet wash had caused Gagarin's plane to go in a tailspin and crash. Back to the Space Debris. Despite being at the height of the Cold War, Aldrin and Armstrong also left two medals that were awarded to Yuri Gagarin and Vladimir Komarov to commemorate their sacrifices they made to space. The medals were given to astronaut Frank Borman from the men's wives. Borman gave them to Aldrin and Armstrong, and they left them on the moon to commemorate their sacrifices.
0: That's really good. That's one of those things, like, the space race, even though it was supposed to be the U.S. against USSR, once you're astronauts, you're all the same. It was bigger than know? that. Exactly. That's nice. It really sucked how he died,
1: though. It sucked <laughs> how it both of them died. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I... So I had Brad to listen to the, the recording. Uh, this uh, The recording of Komarov re-entering Earth. It's... Without context, it's like, oh, okay, it's just like a Russian guy screaming, and then you like learn what it is, and oof.
0: Yeah, part of it is uh, supposedly uh, we don't we don't know Russian, but supposedly part of it is uh, him speaking to his wife.
1: Oh yeah, uh, he got he gets his wife on the on the phone. Uh, he's talking to Mission Control, and they're both crying because they know that Komarov's gonna die. Yeah, it's.
0: Yep, it's a lot.
1: Uh, Without without knowing Russian, you you understand the tone. All right. Bring us back up.
0: All right. (laughs) Okay. So, my three for the week. Uh, The suits astronauts wore to the moon were made by Victoria's Secret. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Number two. The first food eaten on the moon was a communion wafer and wine. And number three... The man who was allergic to the moon Harrison Jack Schmidt <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh man uh, I think number one's purposely misleading I don't think it was made by Victoria's secret but it was the guy who in- created Victoria's secret number two number two's rough and I know the th- I'm pretty sure I saw the third one I'm pretty sure the third one's true pretty sure there is a guy who is allergic to moon dust
0: what will you choose yeah start off at number three number three yeah that was true all right so number three is the man who was allergic to the moon harrison jack schmidt since before a man first walked on the moon it was understood that the environment on the moon's surface was not to be underestimated Care was taken in the manufacturing of the lunar mission hardware to make sure moon dust would not affect the systems. But according to the director of the Planetary Geoscience Institute, Larry Taylor, the Apollo 11 astronauts complained that the particles covered everything, and a stain remained even after our best attempts to brush it off. So it was apparent after the first trip that moon dust was going to be a problem no matter what. Moon dust is primarily detritus left from... Micrometeorite impacts, and as the moon does not have wind to erode the dust, it stays just as sharp and abrasive as when the material first splintered. Additionally, due to the lack of gravity, or the existence of microgravity in the lunar landers of the missions, the dust remains airborne longer, allowing for a higher likelihood of the dust being inhaled and causing respiratory issues. That's all well and good, so you just don't have to breathe it in. We get it. However, for the last astronaut to ever walk on the moon, his relationship with the moon dust got a little bit weirder. Harrison Jack Schmidt was one of the three astronauts on the last trip to the moon, and the most recent trip humans have taken beyond low Earth orbit, which took place in 1972. So this was Apollo 17, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the last one. Schmidt and the mission's commander, Eugene Cernan, completed three moonwalks during their mission, and in this time, the moon dust had covered Schmidt to the point of making it hard to move his arms, and had even eaten away three layers of the Kevlar-like material on Schmidt's boots. So, it was pretty intense. <laughs> Uh, After returning to the lunar module, Schmidt and Cernan spent a long time brushing the dust off of Schmidt's suit, but when he took his helmet off, he immediately began having a reaction. Schmidt reported that he had a lot of irritation to his sinuses and nostrils, as well as his eyes and throat, which lasted about two hours. Schmidt had also noted that a flight surgeon had experienced a similar allergic reaction after removing the suits from the module when they had touched back down to Earth. In multiple interviews since Schmidt's iconic mission and running with lunar dust hay fever, as he called it, he has become a proponent of learning more about astronauts' reaction to moon dust as well as furthering technology to limit contact with lunar dust. Although it is an engineering problem, if engineering fails, it will be important to know whether an individual will have a severe reaction that could even turn to an emergency, something you do not want to have 250,000 miles away from Earth. So basically...
1: He he was allergic to the tiny... Razor-like particles. Yep. <laughs> As, uh, yeah. I, so you said that one, and then I immediately went to wait. Why are people breathing on the moon? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, they were talking about how it literally covers everything in there. Um, considering the fact that you know we haven't been back. This the last one was in what seventy two, and we haven't been back. And they say we're planning to go back, but it's iffy. We aren't sure how they've been working on the technology. Uh, so, you know, backing it out or yep. whatever they're going to do.
1: Really good HEPA filters.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an
1: engineer. <laughs> I've solved the problem.
0: You did it! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which one do you want next? Oof.
1: Victoria's Secret made the first... Wait, wait, wait. Read it again. I want to hear the specifics.
0: Okay. The suits astronauts wore to the moon were made by Victoria's Secret. And number two... The first food eaten on the moon was a communion wafer and wine. I can't, can't,
1: like, ask any questions. Because, like, it'd be nice to know if, like, it was blessed by a rabbi, or...
0: Because,
1: like, a communion... Because, technically, a (laughs) communion wafer and wine, like, that stuff should be able to travel really well. Like, it should be able to... It
0: definitely wouldn't be blessed by a rabbi.
1: (laughs) It's okay, I'm sure
0: we'll cut that out.
1: (laughs) Uh, You're going to get me on number one. It's going to be, like... uh, It's made by, like, Dooney and Berg or something. (laughs) But I think that one's true. Let's go with that one.
0: You're going to go with number Number one? Number one. Okay. The suits astronauts wore to the moon were made by Victoria's Secret. After the Soviet satellite Sputnik was successfully launched into Earth's orbit on October 4th, 1957, beating the U.S. to the artificial satellite punch... A back-and-forth competition between the Soviet Union and the United States was born known as the Space Race, with the ultimate goal being to place a man on the moon. As the U.S. sped along, calculating the mission, designing the lander, the rover, etc., a very important bit of having a living human being on another celestial body needed to be designed, the space suit that would keep that human alive. At first, NASA turned to defense contractors and aerospace manufacturers like Litton Industrial and Hamilton Standard, but their designs were bulky and didn't seem feasible for astronauts who would need to be able to move fairly well. Unfortunately, the contract did not go to Victoria's Secret either, as it wasn't even around until the 1970s. Sorry about that, Michael.
1: Yeah, I kind of figured. <laughs> uh, no, in
0: 1962, NASA awarded the spacesuit design contract to Playtex, an undergarment manufacturer in the U.S., previously known as International Latex Corporation. Yeah, I pretty so much got you it you kind of got that. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you still go for the trap. You I'm said that was a trap. <laughs> However, according to Nicholas de author of Space Suit Fashioning Apollo, it was not that simple. Instead of letting ILC charge ahead and create the suit, they had the company work under Hamilton's standard as a contractor. Hamilton was not on board with Playtex's design. and decided to create their own prototype known as the Tiger. Really what it was. So, Hamilton was an aerospace manufacturer. They Their first stuff was, like, turned down. And they didn't like the fact that Playtex was a ladies, like, underground. They're like, you're a fashion designing thing. We don't really want you on our stuff. So when they became, you know, like, the big brother to the company, they they were a little jealous, I think. (laughs) When Hamilton submitted the design to NASA, it flopped. And the aerospace manufacturer blamed it on Playtex, losing them the contract. So now Playtex is out because... Hamilton designed their own prototype and then submitted it, and then said Playtex did it, and that's why it failed.
1: So Victoria's Secret's in.
0: <laughs> Still not around. Yeah, <laughs> After the debacle, NASA decided to invite two other companies to submit suit designs. Not wanting to lose what they had worked so hard for, about a dozen ILC employees snuck into their old offices at Hamilton Standard and stole back their design. After reworking the model, they created a new suit called the AX-5L, which they submitted to NASA as the third submission. One company's design did not even fit through the door. The second company's design had its helmet explode. And after passing 12 of the 22 tests, Playtex had rewon the contract to make the suit. So, in 1965, the suit was back on track, and during the 1969 moonwalk that won the largest portion of the space race for the U.S., Buzz Aldrin was seen running around the moon in a Playtex spacesuit sewn together by a group of seamstresses who were used to sewing bras and girdles. <laughs> the final suit was made of 21 layers of fabric. The outside layer was made of a fabric called Beta cloth that was invented after the 1967 catastrophe that killed 3 astronauts during a ground test. It was made with Teflon-coated microfibers and could withstand 1000 degrees Fahrenheit. So that was after the the Apollo 1 ground issue. Mm-hmm. CBS had an interview with some of the women who sewed the suits, and one woman said that she used to go home at night and cry because she was afraid she couldn't do it because they knew the astronauts' lives were in their hands. So they had a lot of stories about how the astronauts would come down and say hi and thank the women for their work because they're, you know, sewing together the suits that are going to make them able to walk on the moon. <laughs> it's a really cute story.
1: <laughs> okay, but you said something very interesting there, and I don't want to interject, but what if his helmet just did that? What if it just exploded?
0: (laughs) You mean... You, like, totally glossed over
1: that, and I think that's, like, the best part of it.
0: (laughs) It did just explode in the trials. (laughs) So they didn't go with that, (laughs) does Because I don't think they wanted the heads to explode, from what I... From what I think. What if their
1: heads just did that?
0: Oh, (laughs) so what you're saying is... I don't think it exploded on a real person.
1: No, I know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> yeah. So when they were first doing their designs, when um, uh, when they first had won the, the contract, they had uh, they had one of their employees go get in the suit and run around the football field and catch the footballs and show like, look what you can do. But then when the Buzz Aldrin was running around the moon, uh, the head, the lead guy on the project was like. No, no 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 you did it it was a success you need to just get back in into the lunar thing and you're good now please they're like so terrified it was gonna fail
1: <laughs> nope let's go swing at golf balls <laughs> yeah.
0: all right
1: yeah all right god i can't believe stupid <laughs> wine and communion wafer
0: so our last one for the day is the first food eaten on the moon was a communion wafer and wine Although it was known that the first meal Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong shared together on the moon consisted of bacon, peaches, sugar cookie cubes, and a pineapple grapefruit drink, it was not the first food to be consumed on the lunar surface. Aldrin, an elder at the Webster Presbyterian Church near Houston, Texas, had brought along a small bag of communion waivers and a plastic container of wine and a chalice given to him by his church leader. He had gotten the okay to administer it to himself, and on July twentieth, nineteen 1969, and the first few hours of the lunar landing, Buzz Aldrin radioed this message to NASA. This is the LM pilot, LM being Lunar Module. Mm -hmm. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever and wherever they may be, to pause for a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours and to give thanks in his or her own way. He then ended the transmission, privately read from the Gospel of John, and took communion. According to Aldrin, he had previously spoken to Deke Slayton, the head of flight crew operations and an original Mercury 7 astronaut, about his intentions. Slayton okayed the ceremony, but wanted Aldrin to keep his comments general. Previously, the Apollo 8 astronauts had read from Genesis on Christmas Eve of 1968 during their orbit of the moon, which sparked controversy in a lawsuit from a known atheist activist named Madeline Marie O'Hare. Since NASA was not interested in picking another legal fight— Aldrin was told to keep his ceremony to himself. Aldrin recounted the event in his 2009 book, Magnificent Desolation, stating that Armstrong had watched his ceremony respectfully, but had made no comment to him at the time. He continued to write, Perhaps, if I had to do it over again, I would not choose to celebrate communion. Although it was a deeply meaningful experience for me, it was a Christian sacrament, and we had come to the moon in the name of all mankind. Be they Christians, Jews, Muslims, animists, agnostics, or atheists. But at the time, I could think of no better way to acknowledge the enormity of the Apollo 11 experience than by giving thanks to God. It was my hope that people would keep the whole event in their minds and see beyond minor details and technical achievements. A deeper meaning. A challenge. And the human need to explore whatever is above us, below us, or out there.
1: Hmm.
0: So yeah, a little interesting.
1: I thought you were going to say he he radioed back to, to Houston. Hey, Houston, I'm about to get ripped up here on some line.
0: <laughs> I kind of wonder if it had... Well, I mean, obviously it's not enough to get ripped. So,
1: <laughs> so uh, they, NASA accounts for all sorts of payload when they're uh, when they're creating missions. And one of the things that they have an allotment for is personal effects. Was that in his personal effects? Yes, pay, it was part payload? of his,
0: perfect, his personal effects, which honestly... I thought it was a little shocking with the chalice, because that had to be big. He bought the, yeah, the chalice he got from his he Presbyterian, couldn't, like,
1: Couldn't just brought, leader. like, a Dixie cup?
0: <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's uh, <laughs> proper. <laughs> I believe the people who were packing him would probably prefer it. <laughs> but apparently that, uh, that Presbyterian church, it's in Houston, it's close to where the, the space...
1: The Johnson Space Center?
0: It's close to Johnson Space Center, yeah, and uh, a lot of astronauts apparently have been part of that oh. church, but they celebrate uh, that day as...
1: Lunar Service Day?
0: Lunar Communion Day or something, but yeah, they they celebrate it every year because of him.
1: Do you know where the chalice is? Like, does the church have it Yeah, they have the is chalice
0: it? there on display. On display. They have, they have that, and uh, they had some other effects too, but yeah, he brought it back for, hmm. Yeah. Kind of nice. Yeah, that's
1: neat. Yeah. All right. Well, crap! I went one for three this week.
0: Nice. <laughs> I won. Did Did you have any honorable mentions this week?
1: Um, so mine are probably going to start venturing into like urban legends and and whatnot. But uh, here we go. Have you seen the sci-fi special with Buzz Aldrin, where he claims oh, to the have the one
0: where he saw the claims weird... to have seen a UFO? Yep. Yeah. I haven't actually well, I've seen bits of it, but I haven't actually seen the whole thing. Yeah, much. I
1: saw highlights from it. I, I don't know how much truth I put into it, but it is interesting, I guess. We still only do a UFO episode, but
0: Yeah. I would like to believe him. He seems you know, you'd think but you can't just say because an astronaut was an astronaut that they are trustworthy.
1: Yeah. Well and he went on to sci fi to say it, <laughs> yeah. which also doesn't lead a bunch of credence to it. Um, another one on that, along those lines, is uh, Yuri Garn was not the first man in space. He was the first to return. Right. So there's a... I guess it's more of a conspiracy theory that the, the Russian space program kept sending cosmonauts up. And Yuri was the first to come back. And that's why he got all the fame.
0: Which I'm... I'm very hesitant to believe because after... So when you um, find out one of the reasons why... Uh, they didn't send somebody back up was because they were afraid of having backlash from more people dying. And one of the reasons why they got kind of pushed back behind us on the schedule. Honestly, we were kind of neck and neck. Um, So, aside from when that happened, they kind of pulled back. And then once we got it, they stopped. I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. For my research, it kind of seemed like whatever the Russian government, whatever the USSR government wanted kind of happened. Like, Brezhnev really wanted that space, or that, a uh, ship-to-ship transfer, and that's yeah, the I reason that wh- really... why it kept going on. Yeah. So it kind of seems plausible that, like, I don't know, maybe he wasn't the first man in space.
0: It's possible. Have you, have you seen, not seen, have you heard the supposed radio transmission that came over a, a, uh, it was like a number station. Somebody picked it up and it sounded like a female cosmonaut. Yes. Dying. Yeah, exactly. But that's, we don't know. That's, that could have been doctored. There's no like verifying
1: yeah, that, uh, that would, information
0: that, about yeah it. But we'll, we'll mention it here because you know, we're talking about it. <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, I guess the last thing I have kind of relates to your one about the space suits. Well, I, I guess, I don't know. I guess it relates to all of them because it's the moon because there's no like erosion or anything on the moon. All of the footprints and stuff that have been left on the moon, they'll be there for probably indefinitely until an asteroid or something comes, until uh, space debris hits them. So if somehow you're able to go to the moon, you can go see Buzz Aldrin's footprints.
0: Yep. Yeah, along that same line, um, there was one of the astronauts I don't remember which one it was from. If It was 11. Now, I don't think it was it wasn't Neil or Buzz. It might have been on of seventeen, but he left a picture of his family and like a baggie and they're like, Oh, that's nice gesture, but it's probably not gonna last because of how much stuff's gonna hit the face <laughs> of the, <laughs> the lunar surface. But I did have yeah, something what'd you get? along that too. Uh, and it this is one along that line of like rumor, but it was kind of substantiated.
1: Please of. don't say it's the Stanley Kubrick on the the, the sound set and no lemonade. not okay. the
0: faking <laughs> okay because i know if we
1: didn't say it i know we yeah we had to it. at least
0: acknowledge the term faked it <laughs> <right>,
1: let continue
0: <laughs> no uh there's a possibility neil armstrong wandered off for three minutes during his moonwalk to lay his late daughter's bracelet on the moon although it is unconfirmed but his sister said that she she believes that he did that hmm. but yeah but there's a three minute point where while they're doing the moonwalk, he kind of walks away and they think that he, his daughter's name was Karen yeah. and that he wouldn't put her bracelet on the moon. So it's possible. It's oh, interesting.
1: Did <laughs> yeah. Not, did not know that. Oh, I just, I, I guess I have a couple quick ones about just like the, the geography of the moon. Uh, so the moon's actually in sync with the earth. So we're always looking at the same surface so technically there's no dark side of the moon, but we're always looking at the same Right. Same side of the moon. Yeah,
0: that's one of the things that um they talk about is when when like NASA talks about dark side of the moon, what they really mean is the side that we can't see, the one that we would like to study because we don't know what it looks like. The, yeah. <laughs> and we've crash landed six probes into it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. And there's tons of others that probably landed over there, but yeah. <laughs> we've we've intentionally crashed them because we're trying to learn what's over there because we can't see it.
1: <laughs> and last one is the reason the moon and the sun appear the same size in the sky is because the sun is 400 times bigger, but the moon is 400 times closer. So because of the ratios, they they appear to be the same same size in the sky.
0: That's so weird. How it, it's was like exactly 400. <laughs> I, and, well, I mean not four but like it's and it's to be like, honest
1: I don't have that written down so it might be something else but basically they had the ratios of how close they are versus how big they are is the same which is why they appear the same so weird yeah
0: an interesting little petri dish we live in here I guess so it's part of the universe <laughs> a
1: little piece of cheese floating around it
0: yeah well honestly uh there's possibly we will do Probably think, not the moon, but probably, like, space Oh, we have stuff. to do space. Yeah. I, I think... Like, uh, more space. We stars. won't
1: touch Luna again, at least not for a while, but we'll do other moons, and we will definitely do space, because yeah. there's so much space. Yeah,
0: because... Uh, space. We've had a couple recent stories, but you guys have probably remembered them, because they're from, like, 2019. The finding of the uh, metal blob under the top of the moon, which is probably just from an impact... Uh, yeah, so there's, there's a bunch of little things, but we'll probably not go back to the Luna for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. All right.
1: Is is that it? Is this where we end it? I
0: think this is it. I think this is it. Yeah, I think so. All right. (laughs) All right, well, thank you for listening to Live Patrol, and we will see you next time. Have a good one. Bye. For show ideas inaccuracies, or general comments, you can email us at thelivepatrol at gmail.com. Intro and outro music provided by The Simulation Hypothesis by Revolution Void, found on the Free Music Archive CCBY license. Thank you for listening.